So, before I came here today, I was thinking about what I could talk about. And this is not something I usually do. I usually just come and just see what's up and chat. Um, but I was just sitting and I was thinking, you know, what could I talk about? And something that came up actually was to tell uh, ghost stories because it's like Halloween season. And I couldn't do it last time because we didn't have class. But more than ghost stories, because I actually have a lot of ghost stories since I, so I grew up in Andover, actually. And um, when I was, you know, a little, a little Seth in, in Andover, on Elm Street, you know, um, near Merrimack College, I definitely, you know, I'd go to bed at night and I would feel something standing over me and this big angry presence. And I'd look and there'd be nothing there, but I'd feel it. So I'd kind of, you know, yell and my parents would come in the room and then they didn't see anything. So it's kind of like, oh, you just imagine you go to bed. But as a kid, I'm like, no, I feel this. And uh, I used to walk around like to downtown a lot. And a very common occurrence for some reason is I'd be walking downtown and the lights, the street lights would turn off as I walked underneath them. And I told actually one of my friends about this and we would walk around town together. And I remember after I told him about it, the first time we walked downtown, he just looked at me and he's like, you weren't kidding. <laughs> like he was really like, I, he's like, dude, I can't believe that. You know? um, <laughs> and, and, and a myriad of other weird experiences from like objects sliding across the floor to just weird, just very strange things. Um, and my parents told me that the house they used to live in, in Andover, was also really haunted. And like something would like pull on my dad's hair and like sit on the bed next to them and weird stuff like this. And this house, it's now, it's near um, like the back parking lot of Bank of America. It's like a loft firm now. It's like that white kind of double-decker house. It's like a big house right on, what's that street that goes right off of, if you go past Memorial Hall Library on this side, Bank of America, then it kind of goes down towards the church. Central Street? Essex. Essex. Essex, yeah. So it's, if, if you go right past Bank of America on Essex Street to the right, there's like a big, it's either like now white or gray, two-story house that I think is now like a law office. Yes, I was there on Friday. But my parents used to live, that was the house they lived in when they first came. So they said that actually there was the old Indian shutters on the windows that for in case Indians would attack, they'd pull up these shutters and lock them and there's just like a little space to stick the gun out, you know. And um, yeah, and they said that there was really stuff going on there. So, you know, part of my spiritual path, which ended up in me being, I think, a meditation teacher and doing maybe more grounded kind of work, um, was as a kid having a lot of really just bizarre, paranormally experiences in Andover growing up, which really led me to know that, you know, there's more going on in this world than I know about. And even the fact that I would tell my parents and they would just say, oh, you're just imagining things. You know, it was really this feeling that, you know, the average person doesn't necessarily know about this, but it's there. I can experience it. And I even talked to my sister about it, and, and I, you know, would always feel something on top of the stairs. And one day I heard her on the phone talking to her friend. She's like, yeah, that guy that always stands on top of the stairs. You know, so I, it was, you know, validated through our, you know, <laughs> joined perceptions. So, um, so myself and Shannon actually, last week, or this weekend, Saturday, Two days ago, we so so last week we actually went to a house clearing um, workshop. I guess it was. 
class, right? So it was to learn how to clear space, to learn how to clear houses. And so you, you know, we sat there and we learned and it's, you know, you first kind of ground yourself and you call in kind of protection and you center yourself and you imagine kind of white light and you can call in whoever is, you know, whether you want to call in Jesus or God or Mary or whether you want to call in, you know, one of the angels like Michael or Gabriel or this, whether you want to call Buddha or, or you know, whatever, whoever, kind of whatever you feel connected to and whatever could be supportive, you can just call it in. And then you go into people's houses and spaces and you kind of walk around and you feel, and people use like pendulums and EMF meters and different things like this to see if there's weird, um, you know, fluctuations. And really it's based on like intention and intuition, but also kind of feeling. And you have to really start trusting yourself because it would be like really easy to get lost in kind of a fantasy about it. So that's why it's kind of hard because it's very much just on the brink of what we as humans can normally experience, but we can kind of experience it. So, you know, so it was very much just a whole class and how to work with, with different energies and how to kind of clear spaces and how to use yourself as kind of a meter and use some kind of tools as um, supports. And on Saturday, we went on a field trip with the group to, um, it was a tire factory in Nashua, New Hampshire, which um, I guess used to be before it was a tire factory resident, a residential area over many generations. And so, you know, there was this whole group of people. There was maybe 20 people that came, something like this. And you know, it was kind of funny because you see everyone's like walking around. Some people have like these pendulums swinging. Some have like sticks of sage. Some have like their EMF meters. And somebody gave us one of these meters that, you know, supposedly can like detect ghosts and it beeps. So we were walking and it was like, did did we're like, oh my God, you know, there's something. And then we looked and it was just, you know, because my phone was too close to it, it was like picking that up, you know. <laughs> and then it happened again. Like we went in the basement, it was really dark. And again, like, did it? I'm like, oh my God, there's nothing. I'm like, my phone's away. It's not my phone. But then we're like, did it? And we held it and it was like this like electrical pipe. And we're like, oh, it's like a wire, you know. So it was one of those things that you had to start kind of seeing like, okay, like what's really happening and what's almost just like scaring yourself. It was fun, right? But um, so we eventually kind of were wandering. It was really just weird. This, um, you know, there's just kind of these rows and rows of tires and this kind of like labyrinthal, like wooden kind of structure with kind of this framework that you kind of go and then there's an, another corridor that turns with more tires. But um, we eventually got to this place where it was kind of towards the back corner of everything and, you know, far away. And, and we kind of turned a corner and there was this kind of stairway that just went up into the, the blackness, you know, this just wooden stairway, like an attic. And just when, you know, we, I walked that stairway, I kind of had this, you know, the chill, so to say. And I was like, you know, come feel this. We're like, ooh, like, you know, it's creepy, right? We had other people come and feel it. So we got together kind of like a small band of these like space clearing practitioner people. And we went up there together, and there's some people who are like, oh, I don't want to go up there alone. I'm like, okay, we'll go together. You know, people had their iPhones. We turned on the lights of the iPhones and went up there. You know, so something else we learned during the space clearing, it was, um, it's how to make a portal. And what this means is that, so, and this is eventually also what we did, is that we all stood, and I think up there in this kind of attic space, there was maybe 10 of us. And we held hands and started again invoking protective energies and forces and imagining white light. And some people called an archangel, you know, Michael and Gabriel and this, and some called on Mary and some on Jesus. And I said, Buddha, and you know, why not? Just, 
you know, but we started, as soon as we all started to call on these, it, it was a real visceral shift. You could really feel, and all together, we all felt suddenly this lightness, like, oh my God, we can breathe again. Like somehow we almost were in this bubble separate from the space, within the space. It was really, oh wow, like a, a visceral feeling that that protection thing worked, like something is different. And so we stood in kind of this, this horseshoe formation with an opening. And what the intention was is we said, you know, we're going to create a portal into the light. And we have all these beings around us to help us. So we're going to invite in any of the spirits in this house, on this property, that want to pass over, that are kind of stuck in this place, that want to pass over, will be the portal for them. So we kind of, you know, invite, invoked that and, and invited them in, and we opened up the space. And we kind of just stood there, and we all didn't really feel like anything was happening. But then kind of started feeling cold, like cold winds coming past us and things, which makes sense in an attic, I guess. But the way that it was happening, it, we felt that there's something else happening. And then within the group, at once, we kind of had this feeling that they're here, but they're kind of like around us as if they don't trust us or something. So we were sitting there and kind of just feeling it out and talking about it and saying, what do we need to do? And maybe we need to visualize like a staircase going up into the light or something very just practical like here's here's where you're going to go up these stairs and it's going to go into the light and that's you know go home you know and there was the woman at the end of the horseshoe she had a pendulum and then slowly the pendulum started swinging in these circles and as it's swinging these big circles she's like you know there's something's coming like a group's coming and then within the group people were just picking up um you know oh this is you could feel like a group of people you know and we all at the same time felt really cold. It's like, oh my gosh, it's cold. And you could feel it's a group of people. And even myself, I could feel, I could feel like as if it was a group of people coming towards me. And then in my mind, I could kind of get flashes of people wearing kind of like ragged clothes. And it was as if it was winter time and they all died in the winter and something happened. And then they all kind of came in and then suddenly the coldness just kind of lifted. And at the same time, pretty much everyone's like, oh, they passed, you know? And I was like, whoa. That was weird. And then suddenly we're like, oh, and then the pendulum starts swinging again. And then we feel something else. And we're like, ooh, these ones feel really weird. And there was like more cold, but like a deep bone chilling cold. And it felt, something even felt like, like gross or like deranged about it. And everyone at the same time is picking this up. Different people are picking up emotions. And so I'm like, oh, these people are weird. They don't even want to pass. They're like soldiers or something happened. And then at the same time, again, this lifted. And then suddenly we feel something coming again, but it, we start to feel warm. At the same time, everyone in the group's like, we feel warmth. And then we feel that there's an energy coming, but it's, it's smaller and it's lighter. And then suddenly someone's like, it's children. And then everyone's like, oh my God, it's children. And we could feel these children. It was like a group of children coming through. And you could kind of feel where they're at emotionally and what they're doing. And um, they were singing, you know. And you could almost hear it. It was the strangest thing because it, it wasn't through the normal senses. It's not like we could really see or hear. But it's like, you know, when you think, you're hearing your thoughts. You know, so it's like your hearing also works inward. And also when you see, if I look around the room, but also if I imagine something, right, I'm seeing in my mind. So it's kind of like these images and these sounds and these feelings started popping up within the mind. And multiple people in the group were all getting it at the same time. And then there was a couple that came through, a man and a woman that came through together. And then I felt, and everyone felt this a heat, a real heat coming through. And I suddenly just saw a man 
a big man, big belly, bow tie, um, sorry, like long, same as like a normal tie. Not a bow tie, but a, just a tie. Yeah. Coming in, and then I was like, oh my God, this is a big man. And then I think Shannon or someone's like, yeah, like they felt his belly, and like people could really feel this together. And then someone's like, was he killed? And I was like, no, 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 he committed suicide. And I can just, somehow you could just feel the whole story behind these people, and it was crazy. And they kept coming group after group, individuals. There was then some teenagers, some older kids, some people that we all felt, ooh, they died in a fire. You could, and some died in a winter, and you could just feel this cold and then this heat and then the emotions and the pictures and we were all picking it up together until we were finally like you know this is going to just keep coming for a while let's just make an intention that this portal stays open for the next 24 hours for whoever needs to pass can pass and we're going to kind of free ourselves from the space and ask to be cut and cleared and you know not attached to what's going on but let things keep passing if they want to and it was just a huge, powerful experience. We were all talking about it, and oh my God, like wow. It was just really emotionally draining as well, and you know, really staying focused and trying to feel it out and work together as this group. And we'd all kind of, this is our first time, everybody, so we're all together trying to figure out what feels right. And, and we went down and we, um, we talked to the woman who owns the property, and she started telling us a little bit about the place. And she says, yeah, you know, that there was the fire here. And we're like, oh my God, the fire. And then she said, yeah, and then there was also one man upstairs in this building, and he committed suicide. He hung himself, and I was yeah, like, whoa. Yeah, and I kind of had chills when I heard really? that. I was like, yeah, he came through, you know. And so this validation, and this woman, a lot of things she told us we could feel. And she said, yeah, and something happened, and these children died. And it was really so kind of all these points that were validated through what she told us. And, um, and during my time as a monk in the monastery, I can also honestly say, like, we did a lot of work also. There was things with spirits and feeling them and we also went we did some hospice work so we sat with people as they were dying and then after they passed over we would pray for them for a month afterwards and you would feel them coming to visit you would feel as you're praying suddenly this the presence of that person kind of standing or sitting near you and be like oh my gosh they're here you know and then over that month you know they would slowly go somewhere they'd almost start to get farther and farther away or kind of dissolve you know moving on to wherever they moved to so this was really something that, you know, in my life I had been more and more aware of. And if any of you read The Townsman, I actually have an opinion article in there right now saying that, um, that Andover, you know, we had the most, or the most confessed, right, air quotes, confessed witches, and also the most children that were convicted of witchcraft during the witch trials. So more than anywhere else in New England, Andover, they came from here. And as I was reading into this, it seems like a lot of these um, confessions were forced, right? They take people, they imprison them, they torture them, they force them to confess. But the very first woman, for instance, that was con you know, a convicted witch, she was having a land dispute with her neighbor. She said you know, her property went here and the neighbor wanted more land. So then he went and said, she's a witch, take her. Yeah, and they, this was the very first person from Andover. And so through, you know, Want people wanting gain, land gains, different political reasons, people holding grudges. There started to be all of this infighting and people starting to become very paranoid of each other and kind of pointing fingers, a literal witch hunt in Andover. And it said, you know, and I read into it and it said until more than 80% of Andover was involved in this at the time in different ways. And eventually it got to the point, and I think they even took one of the priests from the church and they convicted him and it was this thing. And eventually they someone just like, this is going too far. And then they started kind of like, 
you know, dialing it back a little bit and they started freeing people and they started saying, whoa, like, what did we just do and get ourselves into it? Um, and it's interesting because, you know, you don't see any plaques anywhere. You don't see any, anything about that. Nobody, it's not public anywhere. And if you know anything about this town and also what this town is going through often on the town level, if you get into like the politics of Andover and what's going on in the town, there's a lot of infighting, there's a lot of paranoia, there's a lot of groups, there's a lot of people through political gains trying to get control, making up stories, blaming people, trying to push people out. Um, there's the whole you know thing with AYS, you see those signs everywhere, like we believe in AYS, right? So still to today, the same energy feels to me like it's still in Andover on a deeper level, kind of ingrained in the fabric of the town somehow. So um, actually next Sunday at Den Rock, which is near where we live, we're gonna hold a space clearing where we're gonna, the same group of people is gonna come to the Andover Lawrence border and we're gonna see if we can process some of the energies that are around here. Um, but it's just so interesting and I lived in Germany for a while and you know we all know kind of things that happened in Germany. And you can feel culturally first that people in their minds and in their hearts and in their bodies are still holding on to what happened in the past. But also, you know, I'd be in Germany, I'd just be walking through the forest and I'd come to some places and I would just get chills, you know, and you would just know something happened here. Like I've never been here before, I don't know anything, but something happened here. You could just feel it. So that there is an energetic quality to, to you know, there's imprints, right? History makes imprints. Maybe you've walked into a room before that there's been an argument and you walked into the room and you didn't see or hear the argument, but you just felt like a weird tension in the room. Or even if you just see one of your good friends, they come in and you're like, oh, what's wrong? That you can just kind of feel that there's something up. So our energy kind of makes imprints and it can imprint things in spaces as well. Um, I know every time we meditate in this room, you know, by the time we leave, I always feel very light and kind of happy and oh, something changed. Like it shifted, something shifted in this room. And I'm sure it shifts back as soon as the, you know, the students come in. And <laughs> But I feel like it shifts, you know, the time that we're here anyway. And sometimes if things are powerful enough, you know, I know like in Gettysburg and stuff, there's still people that report at night hearing gunshots and people yelling and like cannons booming. And it's as if really intensely traumatic, powerful events almost somehow make a, like a rip in the space-time continuum. Or it's, yeah, it's like an imprint that somehow emotional, energetic memories can be imprinted in space, in places, locationally. Um, and it also seems like people, that people can get caught up in that, that sometimes when people pass on, like we felt at the monastery, if somebody passed on, and this was really interesting that we had, there was this one old Vietnamese woman, and in, in Buddhism, or at least in you know, the Asian Buddhist communities, but we'll just say like even Vietnamese Buddhism, um, that when somebody dies, you don't touch their body for three days. That after you kind of, clinically die, right, you know, that after the heartbeat stops and the brainwaves stop, that we say that there's still, the mind is still present. And it takes three days to, in subtler and subtler levels, kind of break off and kind of float away. And, you know, maybe we've heard of near-death experiences um, that, you know, people have been clinically dead, but saw, like, what the doctor was doing, or like, oh, that nurse stole my sandwich, or oh, there's like a red shoe on the roof of the hospital or something. And then afterwards they went back and confirmed this. And there's lots of real academic case studies, you know, huge books of 
people that have reported things while they were you know dying or in surgery and then afterwards they talked about it and it was able to be confirmed that the nurse was like I did steal his sandwich but he was dead how did he know you know you know or oh my god there was a shoe up on the roof or you know whatever so it's as if that the mind and the body can also exist separately that the mind is in the body as its vessel but it's not like the normal kind of you know mechanistic a materialistic way of science that we often think that somehow the brain creates the mind. They're saying, you know, it's actually more like the mind is something that can exist independently and maybe the brain just helps to anchor the mind into this physical form. But the mind also has the ability to exist outside of this. And again, if you talk to different monks and meditators and people that do things like astral traveling and people that have like telekinesis or um, tele... What is it? telepathy and different things like this that you know when monks especially that I've known anyway when they get more developed they start being able to do things that kind of transcend this idea of me and you you know they start to be able to kind of cross those boundaries in different ways of going into your energy going into your thoughts like seeing into like different things um, so so it seems like the mind and the body although linked also are able to be kind of independent in a way and for things like ghosts, again, when we were in the monastery doing this chanting for people that passed away, we would feel the people come sometimes, and slowly over time as we were praying for them, we would feel them kind of go off. And you could kind of feel sometimes people going, I don't want to say like up or down, but you could feel somebody get going, and it was feeling lighter. They were kind of, it was the feeling something was getting lighter. And then there was also, remember, specifically a man who died and we were chanting for him, and it was almost the feeling like over time something started to like twist and kind of get heavier and heavier and heavier, like as if something was getting pulled downward until, that, until he disappeared, you know, after a few days. Um, so there was this older Vietnamese woman and she died and she was a, you know, a real important member of the community. So we all went to the hospital and we wore our ceremonial monk robes and we were chanting for her. And, um, you know, and she died and after she died, you know, we still stayed for three days chanting and praying and taking shifts. And even though she died, and you know, it's still, I personally could feel like a radiance coming from her. You know, it wasn't like a dead body as much as um, a body that wasn't working, but there was still something glowing. There was still like a life force somehow. And she had died, and you know, when people die, I don't know if you've been like around dead people or not, but like sometimes like their mouths like twist kind of. And, and, um, you know, and she was like kind of sitting there in her eye, one eye was closed and one eye was kind of like a little bit open and she was just, you know, just sitting in, or lying, sorry, in the bed. And my teacher told me, you know, her son was supposed to come, but he didn't, and he's like on the way. And um, I think it was day two, maybe. So she died and then it was like one full day, two full day. And then like, the, so on that second day, the son finally came and he kind of sat with her for a while and he spoke to the, to the body, you know, of his mother. And, and it was this really kind of moving thing. And then he left. And then I would say like about an hour after he left, suddenly the eye that was open just closed. And then the whole body just slumped. You know, and it was this feeling that as if even though she was dead, somehow she was still hanging on just to see the sun that she'd been waiting for with that one eye a little bit open. And after he left, then the whole body just like sank and the eye closed. You know, and it was this really powerful moment that I said, oh, wow, maybe, you know, there's more going on here, right? 
So when we start talking about things like ghosts and spirits, and, and these really exist in all cultures around the world, and it's honestly, as far as I've seen, only like America where you come, that for a long time it's like, oh, that's just fantasy and superstition, mumbo-jumbo, nobody talks about that, even though many people have had strange experiences, whether they'd say they were ghostly or not, but something paranormal happened to them. Just like out of curiosity, who's like had something in their whole life that they'd say is maybe like ghostly or paranormal, right? Okay, so that's like a little more than half the room, right? So, you know, as much as it's something that if you were in public and you're like ghosts, everyone's like, oh, that's stupid, you know, child talk. But on a very practical level, many people experience stuff like this. And around the world, it's very much part of cultures, you know, all these ancient cultures. Everywhere I go, they, have, they know. And a lot of them still, you know, current culture, they still talk about spirits and ghosts and what to do. Um, so something that I personally have noticed is that when you go into a space that there's still a spirit hanging around, which is somebody that's passed away and the, the subtle mind is still hanging around, even though the body is dead, the subtle mind is hanging around. It's not yet going off to wherever it goes. It often seems like it's because it's still connected to this place for some reason. Um, so often even when you think of traditional ghost stories, right, it's a woman dies in a car crash on the way to the wedding. So then you always see this like woman in the white dress standing by the side of the road, right? Or somebody like waiting for somebody to come home. So they always see the ghost like walking around the entrance to the house waiting, right? So it's as if um, people are like, the ghosts are going on loop, right? Reliving the same moment again and again and again. Or we even think about things like, you know, haunted pirate treasure, right? Or haunted pyramids, even very kind of cliche. But it's almost like, you know, the grasping of that pirate on his treasure was so strong that even after he died, he's still protecting it, you know? And when you get to a more practical level, you start to see that, um, and again, I'm just speaking from my experience. I wouldn't even say it personally, this is connected to like a belief system. But I've just felt that once somebody dies, if they haven't made their peace with this place, they kind of hang around. They kind of hang around here until their peace has finally been made one way or the other, and then they can finally go. Then they could finally let go and move on. And it's interesting because in Buddhism, uh, the word for ghosts, they often refer to them as hungry ghosts, because it's like, imagine the metaphor of somebody that's really hungry, but no matter how much they eat, they can never be satisfied. Yeah. Um, if you look at the world, if you look at people, there's a lot of people that live their life like hungry ghosts. There's a lot of people that want more and more and more. Um, and they're never satisfied, even if you, you know, look at maybe some corporations and governments and things like this and people in power, that it's even at the expense of the world. You know, they're even willing to to destroy parts of rainforest, you know, to enslave children to be their workers, to really do horrible things, but because they want more and more and more because it's never enough, it's never enough. And that energy of, of being unsatisfied, right, builds and builds, and after somebody like that passes on, they'll most likely, that, that habit will continue, that momentum continues, right? So in Buddhism, we talk about karma, and this is what karma means, is we build up a force in our life, right? If every day, and we talked a little bit about gratitude in the car. If every day you look around and you're like, oh, I'm so happy to see you guys. So nice to see you. Thanks for coming to meditation today. You're all such wonderful people. This is so great. You start building up like a, an appreciation momentum that it starts to become easier and stronger and people start feeling it and they start reciprocating it. 
right? And you create a, a movement and a momentum of appreciation in your life and in, in your environment with the people around you, right? If I sat here and I was like, what are you stupid people looking at? You never meditate anyway. What are you wasting your time? You should, you know, and I start, you know, picking you apart and criticizing you, you know, then people start being angry, you know, and then I start building that up in my environment and those are my connections to people. Then they're critical and they're kind of unhappy and heavy and unhealthy. So we start creating karma through our actions, through how we do things. And if you think about, you know, when you die, for instance, the body goes into the ground, right? It becomes the earth again. But where does the mind go? Yeah, some people talk about the soul, right? But where would that, so there's the, where the mental and the material, there's two aspects, right? We are animated life, yeah? So we're animated material. So the material goes back to the material, but the part of us that's animated, that's alive, that has a life force, that life force has to go somewhere. Yeah, and whatever the, the habitual patterns that we're creating, the karma, the, the movement and the momentums we create, that's not on the physical level. It's not like my gratitude for you guys is happening in my body. My, my body's affected by it, but it's, it's what creates the state of the mind. So when the mind moves on to wherever it moves on, it's going to continue with the same pattern of, of movement and work. Yeah, so if I have a mind that's really happy and uplifted and appreciates, that's, that's the mind that's going to keep going off into the future. If I have a mind that's really critical and unhappy, that's the mind that's going to go off. So it's really important, and even if you don't talk about it in terms of like next life and death and all this stuff and ghosts, but even if you just very practically look at this life, um, my mother told me that they did a study about people in relationships, and they interviewed a bunch of people that were in kind of very happy, longer relationships and people that were in unhappy relationships, and they kind of, people that then broke up and got divorced, and they did all these studies, and they tried to understand, you know, what, what does it? What makes them happy? What makes them unhappy? What, what's kind of... And they found out how to predict if a couple is going to make it in the long run or not, that they really got to narrow it down to the point that they could look at a couple and just be present with their interactions for a little while and know exactly if they're going to be successful or not as a, as a partnership. And she said what they found out was that couples that, um, that end in divorce, breakup, unhappiness, bitterness, and couples that stay together and have long, happy, lasting marriages and relationships, both of them fight a lot. <laughs> both of them fight, they argue, they're irritated by the other one, there's confrontations. Across the board, that happens to everybody because that's what it means to live with another human being. You just get pissed off sometimes, yeah? But the thing that's different for the lasting relationships is that they also speak out their appreciation for the other one. Yeah. So they'll say, like, it's so, I'm so happy to have you. It's so nice that you're in my life. Thank you for being there. Thank you for doing that for me. Um, I really, yeah, I appreciate your presence and your care and your love. To, to feed that, great, that gratefulness and that appreciation into the relationship through words and actions is what ends up keeping the relationship together on a longer term versus the people that they just fight like everyone else fights, but they don't give the positive into the relationship, then it just ends up dying because then it's just so focused on the negative, on the, you know? So even within our own lives, you know, how you relate to a situation 
how much you give kind of support and love and care and appreciation and gratefulness, you know, versus how much you're more in the unhappiness, the negativity, the wanting something else, the grasping on things, you know. And again, like from the beginning of the talk, that's what maybe could be the difference between somebody, you know, hunting like Andover High School for a thousand years because they never got the t t grade they wanted on their test or something, you know. And somebody that's, you know, able to really quickly and easily move on, you know, but also just in this very life, you can very clearly see that when you have, it's called, right, an attitude of gratitude, that when you know how to be positive and look at the nice things and situations and really create the happiness for yourself and to feed it into the people around you, to feed the people around you love and positivity, when you can feed that into your own mind, you'll be happier, you'll create happiness there will be a general abundance of positive feelings in your life. If you're more focused on negativity, anxiety, stress, criticism, anger, resentment, and that's all that you're also giving to your environment, it's just like you're, you're producing garbage in yourself and then you're just throwing it at the people around you. you know? And what kind of an effect could that have? I'm sure you can imagine, right? So, um, you know, so it's, it's really... I would say centrally important in this lifetime and our responsibility for ourselves and our lives is to really just know that your life is in many parts your own creation, how you relate to things. And also we were saying in the car, you know, right, the power outage. On one hand, it was really a pain in the ass not to have power, not to have hot water, to see the food in my fridge slowly getting too warm to hold, you know, to like watch it all happening, to not be able to charge my phone, you know. But on the other hand, to really look and say, isn't it nice to be able to light candles at night? Isn't it nice to be able to sit and just talk and not have to like watch TV and to kind of do things that normally distract us? You know, isn't this an interesting kind of experiment to be in right now? And the situation is the same, you know, but how we relate to that situation really informs our relationship to it, how we end up feeling about it and what that situation ultimately was for us. And to realize that although we don't always have control over what happens in our lives, how we relate to those things, you know, what we feed them, how we, how we look at them and how we feel about them often decides what those things are. Because situations are neutral, but what are we clothing those situations in? Which views and opinions and thoughts and beliefs. And to tie this back into the meditation, it's the message that I always give, but is that meditation, it's really about building a mind of contentment, really about building a mind of pleasantness, of allowing and enjoying and being kind and gentle and peaceful. Yeah, and really just enjoying the fact that you can just sit here and relax and breathe. The more content the mind is, the more it becomes stable and uplifted and happy and warm and kind of open, which is the opposite from that stressed, cranky, you know, tight mind that a lot of people are in in their daily lives. Yeah, that meditation, it's really learning how to be content, how to breathe, how to be with situations like they are, how to appreciate something as simple as the breath, how to appreciate something as simple as the silence. Yeah, to really allow the mind to become just happy with what it's in. It's training. It's like contentment training. It's peace training. And the mind, through that training, starts to get stronger, starts to get grounded, starts to get happy starts to get peaceful yeah and I think we're all here in this room because we're looking for some kind of peace in our lives am I right correct me if I'm wrong 
I don't know if we'd be coming here to meditate for any other reason except we want some peace and happiness. So even like pretend that I don't know what I'm talking about, that this stupid monk guy, he doesn't know, right? Right. So sit here for the next, you know, 25 minutes and really see how can I sit here and feel happy. If I'm here to be happy, if I'm here to be peaceful, then how does that work? What can I do? Yeah. Let's see if we can create it for ourselves. Yeah. And just as a, a tip, even though maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, as a tip, often less is more. Yeah, often it's not so much about doing, and sometimes it's about being. Yeah, sometimes it's not so much about fixing, sometimes it's about allowing. Yeah, sometimes happiness isn't something that we can get, and it's more something that we have to open up to. Yeah, so these are just some, some little pointers of, of where it could be located for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think with that, we'll get into our meditation for the evening. Sitting in a position that feels comfortable and stable. <clears throat> 